0: Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by Brendan O'Leary. How are you, Brendan?
1: I am okay, Rob. How are you
0: today? Cool. I'm good. Today, we are going to be talking about um, school buildings and physical facilities that you would find in a traditional school. And as well, we're going to talk a little bit about staff meetings in traditional schools. So that's got me all all revved up and excited to, to chat with you. So I listened to one of our recent episodes where we were talking about the corona pandemic, and we had recorded it several weeks before, several weeks prior to its uh, release date, and it was just hilarious how dated things sounded. So I thought before we get into any discussions about how we are, let's timestamp this thing. So today is April 19th, Sunday, April 19th of 2020. Um, Because it was just funny, we recorded an episode talking about the uh, response to the corona pandemic, and it was from like early to mid-March, and it was just funny how irrelevant so much of what we were talking about sounded. So, with all of that as background, how are you?
1: Well, yeah, with all of that as background, I'm as well as I can be considering we are heading into our sixth week of pretty much being in the house. We did have a two-week break in the middle, but and you can't really go anywhere and do anything. I'm not sure how much a staycation can be fun. But, you know, we are safe. We are healthy. And that really is the main thing at this point. You and sound thrilled by that. It's more that not everybody I know. I don't have any close friends or family that are ill. But I know friends of friends and family and through social media, we that there are people now that have been affected seriously by the by the by the virus and um so yeah there's always that in the back of our minds it's it has been a long time inside the house and trying to do virtual school will be entering into our sixth week of virtual school starting tomorrow but in the background there have to be Thankful that friends and family are well. But in terms of the school life, uh, it's really interesting how, through the five weeks we've had so far, it really has evolved. And, you know, although. People are dealing with it in their own way, and there's different levels of stress. I think we've really tried to speak to the community a lot, speak have interactions with kids, parents, other teachers, and really check in. And I think that side of things is starting to come together where we're really trying to build a kind of support network for everybody, and some people are feeling it more than others. Um, so I think our kind of culture has you know, is finding that balance between let's keep school going, but really what about the wellness and uh, health of our, of our community?
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that you identify wellness there. The one of the, as being like the main priority, one of the conversations I've had with you and with a few other educators recently was this idea of the diamond in your school. So if our Life at school, you know, a few months back was sort of the full picture of what we were doing as a school. At a time of pressure, at a time of stress like this, how does the coal of that school get pressed down and condensed and distilled into a diamond? And like, what's the diamond of your school moving forward that you want to make sure is not lost during this time? And I think that's kind of the conversation a lot of a lot of schools have been having, is to just sort out of like, well, what is the thing we want to make sure? is not lost at this time of crisis education or distance education. And uh, yeah, for me, I'm looking at getting back into the virtual classroom starting this week. And I guess I've distilled down that my diamond in the context of being in English as a second language teacher is just to do small group guided reading sessions on Zoom. So pretty much taking every class from grade one to six and meeting with three to five kids at a time to read texts that are at their level, have a little conversation, do vocabulary, and uh, because there are a million other things I could do, worksheets, textbook pages, but it's like to be the most efficient and effective at this time, I think that if I'm going to do something that that one thing is the best thing at this time
1: it's interesting that you talk about those interactions especially using video conferencing zoom and google hangouts as we've talked about before because that was the bigger kind of initiative in our school as we came back they were very much the first few weeks was how are we just going to get kids online how are we going to share tasks with them and we already had some decent systems like seesaw and, and google docs set up to do that so that wasn't wasn't so difficult to actually get going And then we had lots of discussions about wellness and screen time. And then as we came back after the break, it was very much this idea of we want to interact more. So what we've seen over the last week and a half or so is um, much, much more small group and whole class video interactions. And I imagine that's going to continue more. So we've had more story time start. We've had more PE lessons go online. We've had more um, small group guided reading and things like that. So uh, interesting that what we said a few weeks ago about this being a more progressive kind of mindset of of trying to get more and more interactions. That's where our school is going. And it is in keeping with the IB kind of philosophy of inquiry and which does require a lot of conversation and flexibility and movement in in what you do and so I think that has been really interesting to see over the last week how we've moved more down that line.
0: This seems like a, a seamless transition then to talk about these different values in our in a nutshell segment. Do you feel prepped and ready to kind of give any new listeners An overview of some of the kind of like basic ethos or general philosophy and jargon that we're using
1: i do rob so we do have a a philosophy of a sort here a map as we have described it from time to time of how we might reinvent education i've been tweaking my notes and my script and i think i might this week just get it down to a couple of minutes it's going to be it's going to be tight so you can ask questions later but uh let me see how i do you start the stopwatch Robin, give me those thumbs up along the way. Three, two, one, go. Reinventing education. We all want the best education, but how? That's the question that we are seeking to answer here on the podcast. All schools have three main aims, building citizens, preparing people for work, and individual development. And there are three types of educational establishments. The traditional, based on the value of security with duty, self-discipline, and tradition at their core. The mainstream school, based on the value of opportunity with a focus on meritocracy, achievement and measurable progress. And the progressive, based on the value of inclusion, centered around the deconstruction of education in search of meaning and student empowerment. These three value systems of security, opportunity and inclusion each have their own way of being and may see the others as doing it wrong. In truth, each value system has things we want to keep and things we may do well without. We call them the babies and the bathwater. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring an emerging fourth value system that is one of integration. The integration value system seeks to utilize the strengths of each of the previous three values to meet the needs of individuals and the whole community in a 21st century VUCA world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So rather than bringing anything new to the table, the integration value seeks a a flexible balance in the existing values as a way forward to an education system that truly is best for the hugely diverse needs of students today and for the future. So how do we do that, you may ask? Well, by defining the core values of the schools, we can hone in on our strengths and also the things that are challenges. We do this through analyzing our strengths and challenges through the eight aspects of education, and we find these in all places of learning. These are the beliefs and responses of the individual, the shared communities and culture, the observable actions and resources, and the systems and environments. And through an honest and open process, we can grow our strengths and solve those problems that are holding us back. So join us as we put our beliefs into action and attempt to reinvent education. Thank you very much.
0: Wow, Brennan, you just did that in two minutes and 15 seconds.
1: Wow, getting closer. What you just
0: did took us our first 20 or so episodes (laughs) to be able to articulate. You synthesized all of those down to Episodes into individual sentences. Great job. Well, Gold Star you. for Robot Boy.
1: Yeah, well that's okay. But uh we both did it, Rob. We both know well it's a sure it's a short shared load we carry, but uh, we're getting closer and closer to being able to deliver that nutshell in a nutshell. And I'm hoping in a few weeks we can unpack it one more time. We did an episode, I think it was episode eight called Start Here, which is pretty much our most popular episode. And it it set out this kind of maple in about 30 minutes or so. And I'm hoping that as we approach episode 50 very soon, maybe we can do that one more time.
0: Sounds good. And smooth transition into my reverse sponsorship. I'm going to take the opposite approach. Rather than get even more concise and precise, I wanted to invite people to my slash our presentation at the Integral European Conference at the end of May. Um, where I get the chance to do a 90-minute Zoom call with the attendees to essentially walk through what you just explained in just over two minutes, but to try to flesh it out in a little bit more detail and also give a chance for the community and people who are joining to, uh, to chime in, harvest some ideas, do some breakout rooms and that kind of thing. So I was scheduled to attend the physical conference in Hungary at the end of May. However, understandably, due to the uh, coronavirus situation, there cannot be a physical gathering this year, so they've postponed that by one year to 2021. But during the same time frame, from May 27th to May 31st, there will be a special online Integral European Conference. And I think as of this moment when recording the details for the... digital conference are not up yet i know i've been in contact with some of the organizers in the last few days so i think those are just about to be online but i'm sure by the time this episode airs if you go to integral european uh, all the details will be up there about how you could attend and be part of that and uh yeah have a chance to interact a little bit more with these ideas we're sharing on our podcast
1: sounds awesome and I remember a couple of years back when you attended the conference and you came back, and you'd, I believe, you'd had a chance to speak to Don Beck. Yeah. Who, who was a granddaddy to a lot of the ideas that we have on this show, such as?
0: Well, not only a granddaddy, but he was a graduate student of Claire Graves, who was the one who did the research into the spiral dynamics model, which has informed a lot of our discussion around the values. The different value systems we see a play in education. So yeah, I got to sit around and have breakfast with Don Beck one morning. Uh, he, myself, and about three other people at a small table, and I have quite a lively chat. And that's one of the shames, just plugging the integral conference here. One of the shames to miss out this year is missing that in-person uh, just happenstance and social contact that you have, and you never know who you'll end up around a bonfire with or sitting at a lake with or or having breakfast with. So we'll miss that this year, but glad they are at least providing an offering for those of us uh, who still want to at least share the ideas this year And right you, on. for reverse sponsorships. Yeah,
1: well we'll put the link in the description for that uh, for the integral conference and who knows? Maybe some of our listeners will rock up digitally to get to that map of reinventing education from Rob McLeod. Keeping in line with my reverse sponsorships generally being books written by dead people, one of my favorites here that I've returned back to after many years, and I don't think I ever got to the end of it last time, it is The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Now, Uh, we've, we've touched on the idea of the hero's journey a few times in our podcast here, but not too much. We've taught this many times, and I know, Rob, you're working on a big project based around the hero's journey and i'm hoping one bright day it will come to our podcast and we took can talk about it in much more detail but in terms of teaching and learning a lot of my a lot of my writing projects were based around this and my kids last year said that the hero's journey story we wrote together we bound it up into a book and we sold copies around the community they said that that was actually the highlight of their year so I thought I thought I mean I was amazed we did a lot of great stuff trips and projects and stuff for, for, for half the class to say writing a hero's journey story was the highlight of the Year was like amazing and mind-blowing, but the hero's journey itself is a fabulous kind of basis for all of the stories, not least of all Star Wars, on which Joseph Campbell was uh, George Lucas's kind of mentor. But it's a wonderful book, and it digs into um, anthropology, stories, myths, and legends from around the world, and ties them all together brillian- brilliantly and very poetically. It's a wonderful book, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So our content today, the reason we're here is to go back and look at one of the values that you mentioned in your In a Nutshell segment. That value being the value of security within the traditional school. So we've kind of laid out three types of school. Traditional school, mainstream school, progressive school. Several episodes back, we did a virtual tour through a thought experiment school, a school that's entirely governed by the traditional school approach. Every single aspect out of the eight you mentioned is informed by this desire for reinforcing security, and hence we're left with this kind of traditional school approach. Now in 2020, you're never going to find any school that looks entirely like this one value. Any school in the modern day is going to be a mix of for sure at least two, if not all three of the values in some way. So here we are going in depth into this thought experiment though to see, feel, smell, touch what the traditional school approach is like. And today we're going to look at both staff meetings, but first to start with the school grounds themselves. So if you were to walk around a traditional school, the grounds typically are very well kept. There might be a top notch pitch for sports playing. There are likely some kind of gardens, although the most often they're ornamental, not functional. Perhaps you can kind of like picture beautifully trimmed hedges, a nice rose garden, basically stuff kids can't touch, essentially. They need to stay out of there. Schools will often have a groundskeeper. If not, even they might have an explicit groundskeeper gardener that was a weird sentence not an explicit gardener like a swearing gardener but rather a gardener who their sole job is to tend to the actual grounds themselves and not be worried necessarily about the the workings of the school building itself you're typically going to look inside and see a gymnasium where there's going to be some kind of sports field and typically there's kind of like one room for each function so the auditorium where you do sports lessons for example um That's not going to be the same place that the whole school meets up for assemblies or school gatherings. There's another spot in the school for that. Sport fields outside, they're mostly for games, sports of the culture. So you might see a cricket pitch, might see a baseball field, the football pitch, whatever kind of sports are valued by the culture. And you might even see a swimming pool, all-purpose grass area for kind of general play. Inside, there's typically basketball area set up, space for gymnastics, and school teams that are in their training. So, as Brendan alluded to earlier, we're kind of looking at the babies and the bathwater of these schools. And here we're looking at the babies and bathwaters of the grounds of a traditional school. Brendan, what are the beautiful babies we want to consider keeping from this kind of school building?
1: It's a little bit of a no-brainer that a beautiful and functional space is good and I, I don't think any of the values whether the opportunity mainstream or the inclusion progressive kind of schools would would question that they may question how accessible it was for everybody else but you know you have a a, a, a beautiful grounds, a beautiful garden you have a sports field that is well set out and spacious and you have a, a an auditorium or a, you have a gym that uh, is functional for sports winter and summer yeah it's a no-brainer rob what what those are only babies all day long that's just good stuff to have so unless you have anything else to add it's like that's good times for everyone right there
0: yeah the only two critiques that i would have would be coming from a more progressive approach. Like, these physical spaces, are they flexible for other activities? Or are we going to kind of sit stringently with rules that, no, that kind of stuff never happens in this area. We only have this in that area and whatnot. Um, The only other thing, though, realistically, if you're going to open a school in 2020, to have the grounds we've just described here, the cost of that is insane. And are you going to be able to get the real estate required and then invest the money in a new school to develop all of these things whereas maybe a lot of these traditional schools some of these gardens some of these play areas you know at least the core foundation of them might have gone down a hundred years ago 50 years ago whatnot And it's been a matter of maintaining them. So if you're going to have school grounds like we've just described here on your school grounds and not like rented out from a local facility where maybe your school goes to the local swimming pool for very discounted swimming lessons versus your school having to pay the cost of upkeeping the pool itself, um, I just think there'll be a lot of schools in 2020 that would not be able to afford what we've just described here.
1: It's more like one of those, that's beautiful stuff if you can get it but realistically who can get it so yeah um moving on to the dining hall now pretty much all schools mainstream traditional and progressive will have a collective place where people will dine in some schools traditionally in japanese schools for example and actually my school is we don't have a dining hall we're quite a small school we do eat inside our classroom and, and there'll be teachers on duty But essentially, in your traditional dining hall, you would see the students line up and get their meals. There may be choices of one or two, or it may be a a fixed meal that everybody has to have. And essentially, you would go and find your space where your class is allowed to sit down and you would sit down and you would eat your meal and you would probably have um, staff maybe dinner ladies as we used to call them in the old days, lunchtime staff who are wandering around and basically just checking that you eat all of your food and that uh, you tidy everything away properly and that you sit nicely and you uh, eat well and then you'd be expected to go off on your merry way. It's pretty basic. It's a one-size-fits-all kind of system. But what are some of the babies? What are some of the good things from having this traditional space?
0: Yeah, one of the benefits is that you do have a little bit of shared community. And it's a time where you can see some of your peers where you're not expected to be dutifully paying attention during a lesson. And on top of that, it's just also functional. Like, you have to eat when you're at school. So, of course why not just make it as functional and as simple as possible? Um, This is also possibly a time for the reinforcement of manners. And especially in the traditional approach to school, there's a big emphasis on self-discipline. So you could see this as being another opportunity for the community to practice self-discipline and show some manners in front of everybody. Because in our culture, in our community, this is how we eat together. We're respectful. We use good manners. We're not slurping soups and spitting noodles around and that kind of thing. As far as bathwater goes, what would you say, Brennan?
1: Well, again, I think nothing there is controversial that people in the other value systems in the mainstream progressive schools would be ranting and raving about. However, they would question the lack of choice and maybe the necessity for having staff kind of hanging over you at all times. But I think as you get more into the progressive school, they would definitely want to see students have way more choice in things such as what they eat and where they sit And Often in a mainstream school, you may get more of a buffet kind of service style. There may be a salad bar, there may be several choices of main meals and the progressive school that may be even developed further and there may even be students involved in the preparation of the of the meals and actually running the kitchen and i think you know there is absolutely nothing wrong in anyone's eyes really with a kid getting a good honest meal and sitting down and eating it nicely with other people but other values may question um is there a place to extend choice and to even include students in this kind of process I guess that's kind of where the conversation might go.
0: Yeah, and we can also look at some of the possible concerns that the more mainstream schools might have in terms of kind of specifics about nutritional quality of food, cost for food, are there like tiered meal plan options, these sorts of things, which do exist in some schools and not in others. So if we leave the dining hall and we head towards the library in a traditional school we see the library set up really to serve the functioning of the library so really the actual physical environment is set up for students to be able to take out books classes will typically have a fixed period so a scheduled time that they can access it, and they're not really supposed to go in there outside of that specific time. There'll be very specific um, limits set about the number of books students can take out or number of books in a certain language, if there are multiple language tracks within a school. There will be very clear due dates and very specific routines that are followed when students are in the library for their library time. Um, After school hours, though, The library is often open for homework, possibly open for parent meetings or whatnot. Um, But typically, again, its purpose is there to house the books, which you can borrow, but you better return them. So babies here, Brennan.
1: Again, traditional school, doing a lot of great stuff here. Who can argue about kids having access to books? It's beautiful. The shelves are full of interesting things for kids to read for pleasure and as part of their studies. Absolutely awesome. And again, if the school can afford the space and afford the resources and have a librarian or two that even can help you out with things if you want to find things. Fantastic. Can't see too many bathwaters there or are there, Rob. How <laughs> (laughs) what would what would people say is wrong with this
0: well i think the traditional library that we're describing here is evolving so in 2020 typically libraries are more becoming like multimedia centers or research areas um, and probably don't look at all like what you would see in the very traditional school typically there's a lot more computers and that sort of thing within libraries. Um, The fact that there's like a limited choice or limited access in times or usage, this is also an issue. There seems to be this kind of strict schedule that must be stuck to at all costs in order to uh, maintain security. Whereas maybe the routine or the tradition of just going to the library at the time might not really be serving any real true purpose. Maybe your classes aren't being structured in a way that you have to do research in the library and I don't I still don't even think this is a bad thing it's just maybe not the most effective use of library time but library time can also just kind of be free play time where kids aren't really being accountable other than that they are following the rules of how we take out books and it might just be kind of a a bit of a time to let loose and and uh, fool around which can be fine but also maybe there's a more effective use of like library time like using that as the opportunity for a guided reading lesson together with the whole group or you know to introduce several texts to students that might be of interest and, and point them in those kinds of ways so yeah, also it's the opportunity for librarians or teachers who might accompany their class to the library to work on some of those research skills um, and making, making the most of that time that you do have in the library. And knowing that as you move towards the more mainstream and progressive, likely that strict scheduling of when you are allowed in the library likely has either more opportunities or just more general flexibility in it.
1: Yeah I think that freeing up of time and resources is something that the mainstream schools just want to see more of. They want to say to say well the librarian is a resource they're an expert on research skills they're an expert on reading how can we actually get them interacting with the kids. So they're not just checking out books so they're not just they're not just making a few suggestions here or there or ordering new books and then I think as you get further into the progressive school they definitely would want the, the librarian to be supporting individual inquiries and projects and so really maximizing the expertise of the librarian so yeah missed opportunity maybe as great as that traditional library is and as beautiful as it is possibly a missed opportunity in some people's books. But if we move on to some of the other things that we may or may not find in traditional school. Now, it may be in our visit to a traditional school, we would see even a little farm. I've, I've seen these kind of things in schools. Actually, in all three types of schools, I've seen things like farms. So progressive schools, mainstream and traditional all would have something like this uh, connection to the land. We have talked about the garden before and a farm might uh, follow a very similar function. And then a thing that, that you may not find in the traditional school is quiet spaces or spaces for a special educational needs and things like that. So let's leave that one just to one side for a little bit because I will get to that when we get to the bath waters. But how about this idea of schools that have like gardens and farms? What What could be the babies of that?
0: Well, it provides students with a real experience of things that they might be talking about in class. It broadens their real-life experience within education. And potentially, depending on how they are being used, can also build up a child's sense of duty. It might be part of your daily or weekly tasks to actually look after the chickens, or do some cleaning here, or collect the eggs, or whatever it is. So there's the opportunity there for this to be used for some real life experience, and the, there's this real valuing of self-sustainability and the idea that you can be a steward of the land, and you can be self-sufficient and grow your own food and know that it's healthy and and it can be done organically. And typically in both. The the traditional approach and the progressive approaches that I've seen to this—that's kind of the way they go about doing this. So, what might be a drawback of this, Brennan?
1: Well, I think we're seeing a pattern here in all of these that it is actually in itself a really good thing and a really positive thing. And the only—the only thing that a mainstream school or a progressive school would see is potentially a missed opportunity. So. Yes, having a farm here is wonderful, but you have a farmer or a gardener who is in charge of it 99% of the time and the kids are doing tasks that are less meaningful. Or in a mainstream school, the kids are doing tasks that don't link directly to the the units they're studying. Progressive schools, it may not link to their own inquiries or their own interests. So again, I think they'd just be looking, as with a library, to just free up the resources and the time and make it more flexible and more meaningful to the to the individual students and treat the farmer or the gardener as an expert who can support teaching and learning or who could even support inquiries and interestingly enough that where I was uh, my my hometown of Wigan where I was teaching we had a rather large country park really really close to the school and it wasn't wasn't quite the same thing because it wasn't on the grounds but we could go there and the the rangers would do like fantastic uh, activities with the kids that were linked to whatever unit we were doing because we would tell them in advance and they would design units that were around and for a mainstream school That was fantastic and awesome. So I think a missed opportunity is the only criticism maybe our mainstream teachers might have of this. So I think... The other thing we said here which is something we might not see at all in a traditional school are places for special needs students. Now, traditionally what what did happen is that there would be a special needs school and students wouldn't actually even attend a mainstream traditional school. Now in 2020 that's much less likely to happen. And so even in traditional schools now you probably are beginning or you probably will see some places to support special needs learning, but let's say for example in the school we visited there wasn't much of a sign of that what would be what would the mainstream schools and the progressive schools be looking for potentially in that area that might might be missing in a traditional school
0: so some of the physical things that you might see would be like sensory hallways for example um actual specific special ed classroom spaces um especially when we move into the progressive schools there might actually be wellness spaces or quiet places where students could actually go if they need a few minutes to calm down. Maybe they've got some sort of guided relaxation practices to take part in. You would actually see physical spaces for this to happen, whereas possibly on that wellness side of things, that would just kind of be done in the classroom. Like you might have a caring teacher who say, you know, go sit at the back for a minute, calm down, join the circle again when you're ready to join us. Whereas in more modern schools, the progressive and uh, the mainstream schools, you're actually going to see physical spaces in the school for that kind of thing. I
1: don't think think that ties into staffing as well in a mainstream and progressive school you would probably have a school counselor you would probably have educational psychologists who are available less likely to see those in a traditional school and i think so one of the things that's been missing from our discussion so far over the last few episodes that's going to pop up much more is the support for special needs and just differentiation in general as we've said before the traditional school generally doesn't differentiate massively within class and for a special needs but of course in in 2020 they will do what is necessary to, put, to keep the school functioning and i actually know that a lot of a lot of the traditionally more traditionally minded japanese schools do have some actually really good support programs for kids who have special needs including shadow teachers and spaces around the school i think there are probably quite a recent development in the traditional schools since the notion of special needs schools which were still really quite common even when i went to school 30 odd years ago but are much less common now as we have attempted to increase Include more and more students inside mainstream or progressive or even traditional education. So should we move on to a an issue that is also close to our hearts? One of staff meetings over the last 10 to 15 years, you and I have sat in hundreds and hundreds of these things. So what would we expect to see in a staff meeting in a traditional school?
0: So typically what you're going to see at a staff meeting in a traditional school is everybody is there. There's not necessarily like this team or that group when it's a staff meeting everybody's there and there's an agenda it's been preset in advance there's no kind of any other business it's not centered around pd it's centered around the functioning of the school and making clear what is happening and what we need to be doing now that agenda is set in advance and often there's even a deadline Like, you need to have had your items into us five days, three days, ten days before the actual staff meeting. None of this last-minute stuff that's going to pop up and kind of throw us off guard. We are looking at stuff ahead of time so it can be discussed in the staff meeting. Typically, there's a very clear structure in the staff meeting, and there's sort of a, a tradition or a protocol of how things are done. So there's a specific way to determine who's taking the minutes or recording the notes from this. Typically, it'll start with a review of the previous meeting, the minutes from that meeting, things can be corrected, but not expanded on or really up for discussion. It's sort of more of like an announcement system, the staff meeting. We're announcing what's happening and what we're doing about things. And attendance is key. Often staff even has to sign a register to say that, yes, indeed, I was there. And as long as you're there and not being disruptive, it almost mirrors the like traditional class lesson, where as long as you're not there being rambunctious, all that's being asked of you is you attend, you listen. There is typically a very clear procedure for if you do have a question, so you sort of like put your hands up, there's a specific order of who will answer that kind of thing. But essentially, the voice you're going to hear the most will be the voice of the authority. So you're going to hear from the heads of school, the vices, the possibly the heads of a department. It's authority that's going to make make up the majority of the speaking time. Now, it's not all serious in business. There is often the sense of family in a traditional school. So typically, there will be sort of the good feeling moments either at the start or at the end of the meeting where, you know, there might be a catch-up of so-and-so got engaged, or so-and-so had a baby, or, you know, since last time Brendan had his birthday, that kind of thing. And, and usually a little bit of kind of like a familial sense of celebration there. So what are the good things that we want to keep from this, Brendan, as we move forward?
1: Well, this is a clear set time for us to meet together and to share information that is pertinent to us. It is, it's important that we get this information. In a traditional school, it's important that everybody hears it, and that allows us to do our jobs properly and really it's as simple as that if we're all here and we we hear what we need to know then we're all able to do our duty much better. So on that side of things, you know, again, with many of these things, it's not that there's anything wrong per se with it, but there are definitely ways to critique this to say um, in 2020, maybe, maybe we want to do it a little bit differently. So what are those bath of the staff meeting?
0: Well, certainly both the mainstream and progressive schools have different ideas about how we should be doing this. In both of those approaches, you'll see much more room for discussion, possibly even the opportunity for kind of breakout groups to discuss something, come back, and have a sharing of information or opinions. Whereas in this more traditional approach, it's sort of like decisions have already been made, we're informing you of what has been decided upon. Um, Especially from the mainstream viewpoint, this is a missed opportunity for professional development, or PD, as we often call it in education. You've got everyone together, this is a great opportunity to talk about the practice. How can you improve what we're doing in classes? How can we, as a team, as a community, um, contribute in different ways? And you know, it's a real missed opportunity to um, make this teacher training time, where it typically is not teacher training time in the traditional school. It's more about hearing information. Um, you mentioned two different articles and studies here, Brendan. The first one was hinting that perhaps you only need to have meetings when they're actually necessary to have, and to have very clear guidance goals and to encourage participation, which are kind of, those are three strikes against this traditional approach. Usually the traditional approach is so thorough and so secure that the entire year's dates for meetings will be announced at the start of the year. So you'll have the dates from September all the way to June or July. So you can plan around those meetings all year to make sure that you are there. Or it might be a reoccurring schedule of we meet every second Tuesday, for example, that kind of thing. Um, it's quite possible that a lot of what's discussed in these meetings really could be taken care of in just a simple email. And in 2020, there are just so many other ways to share information. And maybe having all of your staff together in the same room isn't necessarily required. And I think at the traditional mindset, there is this belief, though, that, well, I can be secure and I can be sure that everyone got the information if we were together. I don't quite trust sending it out in email because some people maybe didn't get it or didn't carry up, follow through with their duty of actually reading it. Whereas if everyone Everyone's in the room. I know that what's been said was heard by everybody the same way. I think that's the belief within the traditional school. Um, So those meetings are set ahead of time and they're going to happen whether or not there's enough stuff to warrant filling, you know, our hour, 90 minutes, two hours, that kind of thing. Um, Brennan, maybe you can touch on the other article about that. Perhaps some staff meetings are actually just more about therapy and and meeting the needs of the community.
1: Well, when I was, well, when I was researching these, um, the idea of meetings, because, you know, it's a, it's a complaint we all make at times of like, do we have to have this meeting? Is it, is it really necessary? And so I tried to look for the other side of it. And here was a possibly tongue-in-cheek BBC News article that said that at the University of Malmö in Sweden, they had tried to make the case that meetings were kind of a form of therapy, that they allowed you to get things off your chest and they allowed you to just decompress and more or less just enjoy the company of the people around you. Or, yeah, as I said, if you have, you know, things that you want to get out there now, Now, in a traditional school, you know, that one, the idea of erring things and getting them off your chest, there may not be an opportunity for that, as we've just said. But still, maybe sitting there and decompressing with the people around you, even though few decisions are being made. Maybe, you know, and one of the things in the article is people don't really do concrete things anymore. So much of what we do, especially as teachers, is even quite abstract. Once it's done, it's done. I mean, obviously, we have the work of the students and things like that. But a lot of the things that we do are hard to kind of actually evidence and actually sitting down for an hour at a meeting that has an agenda and minutes and notes it feels like it feels quite concrete so you know quite how quite how serious um the university of malmo are about you know meetings are being a form of therapy i don't know but you know maybe there is a case for us to just continue meeting once a week for an hour and sitting in a room and not really doing too much just to kind of you know just to enjoy that (laughs) But but then again, maybe not. So we did it, Rob. Talked about staff meetings. We talked about facilities and grounds. Where are we at? So
0: we still have a few more things to look at within the traditional school. We still want to talk about school events and as well, parent communication and the roles of parents. So that will be next.
1: Yeah, we actually have a couple more episodes to wrap up this pretty long season on traditional schools, but uh, it's been enjoyable to dig in and to, you know, I can't say I've always been the furthest at uh, when dealing with traditional schools. You know, I often complain, me leaning more towards progressive side as I may do, but it's been really good so far to at least say the other side of the coin of why this might be good and then have a bit of a, have a bit of a complain as well the same time. And we've so. done
0: it. We've done this with our bathwater portion of our discussion where we've brought in maybe some of the critiques of the mainstream or progressive schools. But what we plan on doing is go through all of these same components of school again, but look at how mainstream schools do all of these things, grounds, parent communication, discipline, staff meetings, how that different value system essentially approaches all of these things completely different. And then again in the future, we'll pass through all this again, looking at the progressive progressive schools and how they approach this so that we really articulate this clear difference between how these three value systems approach informing what school and education look like.
1: Yeah, because they also have their babies in bathwater. Of course, there is a babies in bathwater to how um, mainstream schools do staff meetings and how progressive schools do. And uh, you know, let's keep digging. All right, Rob, thank you very much for that discussion. I hope you stay safe and stay well and love to you and all your family. Stay safe. The same to you. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Rob. Bye. We, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, we have a Twitter account that now has 1,215 followers. It's on twitter.com. Please go there. Smash that
0: subscribe button. Dummy those likes. The click end. the notification bell on Twitter. All right? Thank you, Brendan. All the best, 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 best,